From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, the State Department yesterday expressing concern about the lack of diversity in the new Taliban government. Quote, we have made clear our expectation that the Afghan people deserve an inclusive government, end quote. Apparently, the new government does not include any women. What about expressing an expectation that Americans and Afghans who helped the U.S., who are reportedly being held hostage, will be allowed to leave? Georgia Congressman Jody Heiss joins us with the latest on the Afghan debacle. And I'm sure it pains the media to acknowledge this, but guess what is at the center of the California gubernatorial recall election? Now, here's a headline from the Los Angeles Times. Quote, how churches became a center of California recall election. We'll talk with one of the pastors who's been leading the effort, our good friend, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, a little later here on Washington Watch. Also, while many Americans and at-risk religious minorities were left behind in Afghanistan, other refugees were allowed into the U.S. Questions are now being raised about those granted refugee status who had multiple underage wives and whether or not proper vetting was done for those who were admitted into the U.S. We'll get the latest from the former Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, here on Washington Watch. And finally. The evidence clear. Climate change poses an existential mm -hmm. threat to our lives, to our economy, and the threat is here. It's not going to get any better. The question, can it get worse? We can stop it from getting worse. That was President Joe Biden in New York City yesterday warning Americans that, quote, the nation and the world are in peril, end quote. Is there reason to be concerned? Yes, there is. And I'll talk about it later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you uh, have not yet downloaded the Stand Firm app, I encourage you to do that. Not only will it keep you informed of when Washington Watch is on and you can listen from anywhere in the world, but it also will provide the latest action items that you need to be involved in, whether it's at the state, local, or national level. It will tell you what's going on, what you need to do to be a part of it, and to bring about good resolutions. Remember, our republic was made for participants, not spectators. So download the Stand Firm app. And again, I want to thank all of those who have been a part of helping in the relief efforts for the hurricane, Hurricane Ida, that uh, hit Louisiana and crossed about 10 other states. And Samaritan's Purse is on the ground as usual, serving in a capacity that not only meets the physical needs, helping clean out homes, helping rebuild, but also sharing the love of Christ. And they do it, do it in one of the most effective ways uh, possible. And we're partnering with them and the churches that are hosting them and if you'd like to be a part of that, you can go to frc.org slash relief. But again, I want to thank all of those who have uh, participated in that so far. We are uh, continuing to deliver water and other supplies uh, to those uh, key areas. All right, yesterday, the Taliban announced the names of some key members of Afghanistan's new interim government. Among them, Sirajuddin Haqqani, the head of the terror group known as the Haqqani Network, who is wanted by the FBI. He has been named the Taliban's interim interior minister. Also part of the terror-studded cabinet are four of the five Guantanamo detainees 
whom former President Barack Obama released in 2014 in exchange for former U.S. Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl. Interestingly, or I should say prophetically, it was only about a week after that prisoner exchange that FRC's Executive Vice President, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, was interviewed by CNN and gave this prediction. The point is that we have traded for a guy that is uh, guilty of a, of a crime that is actually punishable by death. We traded him for five of the worst uh, Taliban leaders in Guantanamo, two of which are mass murderers, all of which will be back on the battlefield and all of which will be threats not only to Americans there, but to the Afghan people because before we got there, they were killing Afghans in brutal ways. So we now have four of Gitmo's worst Taliban leaders now heading up a government. And what is the U.S. State Department's concern? That the caretaker cabinet is not inclusive as it has no women, really. Well, with me now to talk about this and more is Congressman Jody Heiss, who is a member of the House Oversight Committee and uh, is from the state of Georgia. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Tony, always great to be with you. Thank you for all you do to keep us informed as to what's happening in our country and our world. Well, Jody, I know that you have been on top of this because there are a lot of Americans still left behind and there are religious minorities who are at great risk uh, under the Taliban government. Um, are you, I mean, I, I, I just think this administration is tone deaf that they're, they choose to express concern over the lack of diversity in a cabinet filled with terrorists. It's unbelievable. Uh, and we have untold numbers. We don't even know how many numbers of American citizens that are still over there. Uh, according to the administration's own numbers from two weeks ago, they said there were between 10 and 15,000 Americans there. We only got under 6,000 out of there. So just doing the math by their numbers, there's between four and 9,000 U.S. citizens that yet remain but now they're telling us there are only about 100 American citizens. What happened to the other thousands that we don't even know how many U.S. citizens are there, let alone SIV people? And yes, Tony, our office for the last two weeks or so, uh, virtually 24-7 trying to get people out of Afghanistan. And heartbreakingly, the biggest problem we had was working with our own government, who was the obstacle on every front, preventing us from moving forward, getting people out. So, you know, we ended up, like so many others, working with individuals on the ground there in Afghanistan, and we were have been able to rescue tons of people. But unfortunately, there have been tons of people we have not been able to rescue, and they remain there with threat of their life to this day. Now, Congressman Heiss, uh, I've gotten reports uh, both through the media and, and direct from those involved uh, that uh, those charter flights, so those uh, charter flights, uh, privately chartered, that the State Department is not giving them the approval necessary to land in uh, third-party uh, countries, nor are they allowing them to land at Department of Defense-controlled air bases. Uh, so they're basically stuck. They have no place to go. But yet the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, yesterday said, we're working around the clock with NGOs, with members of Congress and advocacy groups, providing any and all information and doing all we can to clear any roadblocks 
that they've identified to make sure that charter flights carrying Americans or others to whom we have a special responsibility can depart Afghanistan safely, end quote. Uh, some, something's not adding up here. Tony, that's just not a true statement. They have been the hindrance. They have been the ones standing in the way at one moment. They could have those planes land anywhere they want to, but they have not. They have been the problem as they have been throughout this entire process. We had American citizens. We had SIV individuals. We had uh, pastors. We had, I mean, you name it. We had we had pregnant women. We had uh, a bus full of children. And the State Department was the ones preventing us from getting them through the airport to get on planes. And now they continue to be the problem. It is simply not true what Blinken is saying somehow that they are working around the clock with members of Congress. The reality is they are working around the clock to work against members of Congress and against individuals who are doing everything they can to get out of Afghanistan. The problem on this end is our own government. It is the most shameful and disgusting thing I've ever experienced in my life as it relates to political activity. They are the problem, our U.S. government. Let's transition here to looking at this Taliban government, this interim government that's been put in place. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, we, we've got known terrorists who the FBI are um, actually have uh, bounties on that are now leading this government. And, and as we said, these were individuals that were released from Guantanamo Bay. Um, I mean, th this is just... We're right back where we started 20 years ago, in my view. Well, it's even worse. I mean, because now we have no U.S. presence over there to even temper what they are doing. They are unhindered in whatever behavior they want to do uh, in instilling Sharia law and being a threat to the region. They are able now to do it un in an unhindered fashion without any U.S. president presence to slow them down. And I. I remember when when the the exchange took place. I believe it's 2008. Obama uh, made the the exchange between Bergdahl and the, these five Gitmo terrorists. And I, President Trump, I think, made the most accurate statement after that when he said, in essence, that we uh, ourselves, the United States, we get Bergdahl, who is a traitor, in exchange for five of the most wanted terrorists in the world that the Taliban gets back. That is exactly what happened. And now it's coming back to bite us. It's coming back to bite the entire world. And now we're going to watch the development of a government that is going to reinstall uh, install the uh, development of and protection of terrorist organizations that the world now will have to deal with. Yeah, and you're right. It is. It's worse than it was 20 years ago because they also have about 85 billion dollars worth of American exactly. uh, military equipment, and they have uh, they have the confidence that they can uh, make America run because that's exactly what we've witnessed in the last uh, few weeks is that America, under the leadership of Joe Biden, tucked tail and ran from the uh, Taliban. Exactly, Tony. And when when have we ever done that? And we've and we have trusted and negotiated with the most radical left wing terrorist individuals that the world knows, 
and our administration under Joe Biden has felt comfortable, confident, negotiating, making deals with these individuals while leaving potentially thousands of Americans hanging in the balance in that country. And now what's frightening to me is we're watching both the president say, let's turn the page and move on. And at the same time, we're watching a willing media, national media in this country, being willing to turn the page and go on to the next story of spending $3 trillion in socialist uh, uh, ideology. It's like, what are we doing? We have who knows how many Americans stranded. And we're walking away from them, leaving them in the hands of terrorists. Uh, it's it's unthinkable what's what's taking place before our eyes. L- let me ask you this final question. We're up against a break. You hear the music uh, starting. But is there any hope that Congress might be able, the, re- the Republicans in Congress, lean on this administration to get something done for those people left behind? Tony, I can tell you our office is going to continue it. I know there are many other offices who will and I believe the Republican Party as a whole will continue to demand answers, will continue to demand that we get our people out of that country. Uh, and we're going to continue putting pressure both on the White House and on Nancy Pelosi to do what has to be done at this critical hour in our country. All right, Congressman Jody Heiss, always great to talk to you. Thanks for stopping by today. Tony. All right, folks, don't go away. We're going to continue our coverage of Afghanistan later in the program when we hear from former DHS Secretary Chad Wolf. But before we do that, we're going to check in with California in the recall election where the churches are playing a key role. Pastor Jack Hibbs is here next. Don't go away. Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope? when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible. The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, It just says to me, they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and and consequently, we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association, which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace. How often do you tell your children you love them? Listen to Genesis chapter 50, verse 1. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. I had a friend once who told me, he said, I've never heard my father say, I love you. Words of love spoken daily to your family will fill them with confidence and build a bond within your family that is amazing. Love heals wounds. It calms anger and it soothes hurt feelings. God's love is even greater than parental love. So show your children how much they are loved by you. Then teach them the greater love of God through his son, whom he loved, Jesus. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace, including evangelism with integrity, devotions, articles, and more at hopeforthehome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home. 
in churches and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church and Jesus isn't the answer, where is the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible. And we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit and it's completely completely free, and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the host an event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, in less than a week now, in state's history, thanks to the 1.7 plus million Californians who signed the petition to recall Governor Gavin Newsom. Now, I know it pains the media to even acknowledge this, but, uh, you know, kudos to the... LA Times for acknowledging the the role that the churches have played in this. In fact, this is the, the, the headline from the Los Angeles Times says that the churches are at the center of the recall election. Now, what is driving this with the overreach of Governor Newsom during the COVID restrictions, shutting down churches, shutting down everything uh, in the state, but in particular the churches. In fact, it's cost the state now quite a bit of money. Just last week, John MacArthur's Grace Community Church won a $800,000 settlement with California and Los Angeles County over their religious liberty case, and there are other, uh, several others in the state of California. With me now to talk about what's been happening on the ground and in the pews in California is Pastor Jack Hibb, Senior Pastor, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in Southern California. Pastor Jack, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, it's great to be with you. So uh, the churches uh, are at the center of the recall. Not only were they central to getting the recall onto the ballot with the uh, almost 2 million signatures, but uh, Larry Elder, who is uh, one of the major challengers to Gavin Newsom, has been making his rounds in the churches. Well, Tony, that's exactly correct. In fact, just as that article, in fact, I, I wanted to make sure I, I showed the audience. It's right here. This Los Angeles Times article not only... Uh, mentions that clearly that Larry Elder, among others, are making their way in in churches. Tony, these candidates are making their way into the churches not by beating down the door, but the churches have opened up their doors. Uh, the churches have swung open wide the doors to invite these candidates in that hold pro-life value, and um, and so the values of the uh, Judeo-Christian worldview. And so we're seeing something in California, Tony, that we have never seen before. Now, you and I know each other. We've been standing in this water for a long time. But to see hundreds and hundreds of churches up and down the state, doors open, Larry Elder being invited to speak with the pastor openly on a Sunday morning service, uh, this has been tremendous. And I got to tell you, Tony, I called last night this reporter from the LA Times and thanked her for such an accurate 
story. She did cover it correctly. The churches are no longer taking this tyranny. California is on its way back. I think you might be shocked after September 14th what happens here because if Larry Elder becomes governor, then everything changes because, Tony, if Dianne Feinstein in her 89th year, if she winds up in some way, shape, or form becoming incapacitated, then Larry Elder, the governor, will appoint the senator that changes the shift of balance in Washington, D.C. And all of a sudden, it takes California from the ash heap, and it puts it front and center stage on what could be a turnaround in American politics. Well, that is huge. But can I say that I think there's something even bigger in this, that the fact that California that has been leading the nation in every left-wing idea uh, could see the churches arise and engage to such a level that it changes the course of the California government, which by the size of the state is a leader in this country. That would breathe life into so many other states and in particular into churches and to pastors taking a stand because they're taking responsibility for their state and their communities. Tony, I think California suffers in the in the general media across the nation. We suffer from not getting much coverage except over the nuttiness. What people do not, what the media doesn't cover are the great things that have been happening in California for years, and you're watching it happen now. But a lot of people forget that in 2020, November election 2020, California, up and down the ballot in the state of California, turned incredibly red. In fact, we flipped four. Democrat stronghold congressional seats to pro-life, born-again, believing uh, Congress uh, women and men who we sent to Washington. Nobody talked about that. Nobody talked about the fact that uh, mayors and offices in California in November went red. The news can, never can, covered can we, it. Can we also talk about how that happened where churches used the tactics that, that the state made legal? Uh, what is known as ballot harvesting. Uh, the church took it and made it ballot collection, uh, collecting, and yeah. uh, that in part contributed to these turns. Tony, I'm laughing because you know well, we were the first church to adopt a Democrat uh, strategy. They legalized exactly what you just said, ballot harvesting. We didn't like the name of it, so we changed it to ballot collection. And frankly, Tony, in the 25th district up uh, north of L.A., uh, and in 2020, we actually perfected their tactics. We did it openly, legally, based on California law, and we beat them in their own game. We're continuing to do that now. Uh, you can bring your ballots here to our church and make sure that they are counted, because what we do is we have them taken to uh, the four different counties that surround this church, and they are de hand-delivered under video with guards they are delivered to the voter re registrar's office. Uh, so we're doing, we're actually doing ballot collection and ballot integrity uh, like they did not expect to have happened. And it's worked. Pastor Jack, we, we, we only got about 30 seconds left, but I, I want to bring this back to what is at the heart of this. After the COVID and all the restrictions, uh, Pentecost Sunday, 2020, you opened back up. You've been meeting ever since. How many people have you baptized as a result of opening your doors and people coming in to hear the gospel in the last year and a half? 
Yeah, since May 31st, we just recently had yet again a baptism, and we're just over 3,000 people having been baptized when you put the last three baptisms together. It's the change of the heart with the gospel that leads to the change of the actions that can transform a community. That's exactly correct, Tony. Well, thank you for preaching the gospel, and thank you for standing for the truth in the public square. Jack, always, have, always great to have you on the program. Thank you, Tony. I'll see you later. All right. Pastor Jack Hibbs, Senior Pastor, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hill. So preach the gospel, and you can be engaged in the culture, and you can make a difference in both. All right, coming up next, we're going to go back to the Afghan issue and uh, the refugees coming into the country. Former Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, is here next. Don't go away. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. There are a number of private equity and hedge fund managers now talking about asset bubbles that look a lot like 2008 and say we need to be very cautious. Well, first of all, the caution warning is about eight months behind the curve. Secondly, this is nothing like 2008. Yes, we could see higher valuations, but this is much more predictable. It's been here for a long time. But the problem is no one wants to believe it's predictable or attempt to predict it because in order to do that, they're going to have to criticize the administration's handling of the economy and creating bigger and bigger problems every day, namely consumer confidence and business sentiment, doing nothing about China doing nothing about supply chains, doing nothing about incentivizing workers to get back to work and losing what little bit of confidence the administration might have had in the American people. Let's not get fooled to think that the economy, not the markets, that the economy is going to run back to pre-pandemic levels. As I expressed back in January, that is an impossibility. We can say it, wish it, want it, all we want, but it isn't going to happen unless there's a dramatic change in the attitude of the far left when it comes to economic matters. Want to hear more financial advice from Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Download the Stand Firm app so you uh, will always be in touch. And you know, you never know what's going to happen in social media today. Many of you watching on Facebook, you, you get uh, emails, Stand Firm app. That way you stay connected with us in this cancel culture. All right, the Biden administration clearly bungled the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Uh, I don't think you could have done it in a, in a more inept way. And while it claims to be working to evacuate Americans and Afghan allies uh, still stranded, their reports have suggested that there has, they have been more of an obstacle than a lifeline, as we talked about earlier with Congressman Heiss. 
Now, with tens of thousands of Afghan refugees seeking to resettle in America, one only needs to be reminded of the crisis at the southern border to imagine how the Biden administration is uh, processing that. I mean, what? Uh, how are they going about this? With me now to talk about this and how the Biden administration, uh, what they need to be focusing on, is uh, former Secretary of Homeland Security and now Chairman of the Center for Homeland Security and Immigration at the American First Policy Institute, Chad Wolf. Uh, Chad, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Tony. Okay, uh, I want to be very clear about this because I've been critical of the administration for not getting at-risk individuals and Americans out of Afghanistan. Now we're talking about those who they have allowed in. There's been issues raised about uh, underage wives, multiple wives that have come in with some uh, Afghan men. Uh, and then there's questions about whether or not they have been vetted. We can do both. The question is, or the, the, the problem appears to be, we're not doing either very well. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we can do both. And I think we need to be able to balance our compassion for those that have helped us in Afghanistan with the security interest of the American people and keeping the American people safe. And the screening and vetting that the United States government does they actually do pretty well, but it's a time frame that is hard to speed up or to expedite. And so this is just another result of the chaotic and blundered withdrawal from Afghanistan. And this is a consequence of that, trying to screen and vet thousands of individuals in a matter of days and weeks when the system wasn't built for that. The system was built to, uh, again, check these individuals, screen them and vet them over the course of months uh, and even years in some cases when we're talking about the special immigrant visa and what the Biden administration is doing because they were caught flat footed is they're trying to screen these individuals in a very expedited time frame. And I've got secu security concerns. When you do that, you're going to cut corners and you're going to bring individuals into the country on parole uh, and check them after the fact. And that uh, that exposes vulnerabilities that really didn't need to be there at the end of the day. Okay, so it's been done. What is a way forward that will protect American interest here? Well, you need to make sure that every individual that's been brought to, you know, from Afghanistan here in the U.S. is thoroughly screened and thoroughly vetted. Ideally, you would keep those individuals overseas in safe third countries before you brought them here to the United States. Uh, because we know that just inherently some of those individuals will not pass the screening and the vetting. And if they're already here in the U.S., it's going to be difficult to remove them to a third country. So I think what you've got to do is you've got to deal with the individuals that are here in the U.S. You've got to screen them and vet them, and you've got to do more than a, a watch list check or a name check. You've really got to go deep into their background so that we understand who they are, because we know that our adversaries try to take advantages of situations such as these. When you're evacuating thousands and even hundreds sure. of thousands of individuals, they're going to try to embed themselves in that flow as a way to get here to the U.S. to do us harm. Right. I mean, that's that's a given or it should be a given. So how many do we have any idea how many have actually touched uh, ground here on the U.S.? How many are on U.S. soil now as opposed to being in a, in a third party country? I don't have the exact numbers for you, Tony, but it's it's upwards of, of 20 or 30,000 that are spread out in different uh, sites here around the country uh, that are, are in the process of being processed. And it's the same individuals, as you indicated earlier in the segment, these are the same individuals from the Department of Homeland Security that are also screening hundreds of thousands of individuals a day 
that are coming across the southwest border that are also claiming refugee status. And so they're trying to put thousands of individuals into a pipeline that wasn't built to do this. So you're going to see backlogs and you're going to see delays for years and years and years trying to sort this mess out, both from Afghanistan and the southern border. So, uh, Chad, final question. Are you concerned from a security standpoint that we could see incidents that put Americans at risk here? I think that's certainly the concern. All it takes is one or two or a handful of bad individuals and bad actors to have embed themselves in this flow from Afghanistan that, again, are here in the U.S. Now, once they're here, they're, in, they're on military bases. Uh, it's very difficult to keep them there legally. Um, we, we don't have the right to do that. So should they not be screened and vetted to the extent that we need them to be and they remove themselves from these locations? And again, we've got to remember that our adversaries don't think in weeks and months. They think in months and years. And so if there are bad actors coming here to the United States to do Americans harm, we may not see that in the next weeks or months, uh, but they may embed themselves into communities across the country. Uh, and we may see, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, bad things happen at a at a future point. We've all got to be vigilant and hopefully get those uh, in positions of leadership that will make the right decisions for our country. Uh, Chad Wolf, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. All right, thank you. All right, former Secretary of Homeland Security and now Chairman of the Center for uh, Homeland Security and Immigration at the American First Policy Institute. All right, coming up next, the president yesterday saying, code red, code red, America and the world is at risk. We're going to talk about it next on Washington Watch. We know that all scripture is divinely inspired and given by God. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and those who hear the word of God and keep it are blessed. If we are to keep the word, that is, obey it and be changed by it, then we have to hear it or encounter it, meaning we have to be reading and hearing it. God's word is necessary in our life, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is our daily spiritual bread. That is why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. We want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here's another of our core values. AFA upholds the truth that all human beings, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you for standing with us, and we thank you for your support. Were you alive the day John F. Kennedy was assassinated? Today you'll never forget. Most of us were alive 20 years ago, the date of 9-11. I'm Charles Morris, inviting you to join me all week on Haven Today for a series as we remember 9-11 20 years later. 
Haven today. Weekday mornings at 4.30 Central on American Family Radio. Listen online at AFR.net. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. Noise bombards us every day from 24-hour cable news to traffic to our mobile devices. We are inundated with a wall of noise that seemed to keep so many of us in a state of agitation. For caregivers, taking a moment to sit quietly and settle our hearts down seems nearly impossible. But it's critical for us to do just that. You see, if we don't take time for stillness, we're going to have to make time for illness. That constant state of anxiety, stress, and sensory overload we experience as caregivers will eventually make us sick. Stress kills. The way we push back on this is to carve out some time where we can just be still and quiet. Prayer, meditation, or just clearing our frenetic thoughts, it all helps reboot our minds and hearts and allows us to be a little calmer in the caregiver storm we navigate. This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope, a ministry for the wounded and those who care for them. There's more information at standingwithhope.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. I, I, I touched on this yesterday with Dr. Ronnie Floyd. We were talking about the relief effort at the Southern Baptist night. I got into a report from the United Nations. It was um, from the uh, UN Office of Disaster Risk Reduction and the World Meteorological Association, or organization rather, Uh, Talking about weather disasters are striking the world four to five times more often and causing seven times more damage than they were in the 1970s. Now, the president yesterday was in New York City, and he had a press conference. Uh, He had uh, Chuck Schumer with him, and they were, uh, you know, he was sounding the alarm over climate change. Now, climate is changing. I'm not going to deny that. I'm going to play a couple of clips from yesterday's press conference or his whatever you call it there. Where he was there. I think it was a quasi press conference. At least he was making statements. And uh, I'm going to play this. Play clip number one. The evidence clear. Climate change poses an existential mm-hmm. threat to our lives, to our economy. And the threat is here. It's not going to get any better. The question, can it get worse we can stop it from getting worse now i got a few more clips i'm going to play here but we can stop it from getting worse we can't even get six planes off the ground in afghanistan how are we going to change the climate you know i this is one of those things that don't look at what i'm doing here look at this shiny object over here this climate change if you notice the left loves to throw this out because you can't measure any level of success. You, you can't. But yet they're going to spend trillions of dollars. They're going to take away sovereignty or give away sovereignty. Uh, they're going to tank the economy all in the name of climate change. Now, but, but I'm not finished, so stick with me. I'm not finished yet. Uh, let's go to, uh, to clip... Now, now, what's his solution, okay? He, he goes into what his solution is. It's his Build Back Better program, clip number three. And when I talk about Building Back Better, and Chuck is fighting for my program, our program on the Hill, when I talk about Building Back Better, I mean 
you can't build to what it was before this last storm. You got to build better so if the, the storm occurred again, there would be no damage. There would be. But that's not going to stop us, though, because if we just do that, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse because the storms are going to get worse and worse and worse. And so, folks, we've got to listen to the scientists and the economists and the national security experts. They all tell us this is code red. The nation and the world are in peril. That's not hyperbole. Yeah. That is a fact. All right. Don't disagree with that, actually. But what I do disagree with is that he feels like he can solve this with his Build Back Better program that is chock full of uh, portions of the new Green Deal. And again, he can't get six planes off a runway in Afghanistan to get Americans home, but he can change the climate. Now, let me let me put well. Let me go back to the UN report. I, I want to make I want to make the case that yes, these events are occurring at greater frequency and with greater destruction. In the 1970s, the world averaged about seven. And this is according to again the UN uh, report uh, for the Office of Disaster Reduction. In the 1970s, the world averaged about 700. In 11 world, uh, I'm sorry, weather disasters a year. All right, 711. Remember that number. But from 2000 to 2009, it was up to 3,536 a year, or nearly 10 a day, according to the report. Now, could those numbers be inflated? Eh, possibly. I mean, reporting could be inflated and uh, and all that, but still. From 711 to 3,536. Most death and damage during the 50 years of weather disasters came from storms, flooding, and drought. Now, the cost of these things have grown significantly as well. In the 1970s, weather disasters cost about 175 million a year globally. All right, remember that number, $175 million, and that's that's adjusted to uh, $2,019, okay? That increased to $1.3, almost $1.4 billion a year in the 2010s, quite a bit more. Now, uh, I, you know, one of the things that's driving that, for, for instance, just take the hurricanes, for instance, in America and the Gulf South, where more people are building condos right on the beach, yeah, they're going to be impacted by that. So there's no question uh, that uh, we're taking greater risk. But here's uh, the the, uh, the good news in this, that these disasters are killing fewer people. Fewer people are actually dying. Uh, in the 1970s and 80s, they killed an average of about 170 people a day worldwide. They average it out by day. In the 2010s, that dropped about 40 per day. All right. So uh, we're, we're learning to live with this a little bit better. But there's no question that these storms are happening more often. I can attest to that. I've seen them in my home state. I've been involved in the relief and rescue efforts. Now, the, the five most expensive weather disasters since the 1970s were all storms in the U.S., topped by the 2005 Hurricane Katrina. Okay, we've established the fact, and it is fact, that the climate is changing. 
and that these storms are occurring with greater frequency and greater intensity. Now, what is causing it? Is it all man-made? Well, certainly the presence of man is going to affect the environment. And by the way, I talk about this from time to time, but I am a conservationist. I love the outdoors. If I'm not working inside, I am outside. And so I, I, I would prefer to see a clean environment. And, uh, and by the way, um, you know, we've made a lot of progress on the, uh, the environment in the uh, last uh, 40 years or so. I mean, here, here's from the EPA. All right, this is from the EPA. Annual emissions estimates are used as one indicator of the effectiveness of our programs. And, and they have a graph here that shows that between 1980 and 2020, gross domestic product increased 173%. Okay, that's what we're producing, increased 173%. Vehicle miles traveled increased 85%. Energy consumption increased by 19%. And U.S. population grew by 46%. Everything going up using more, doing more. But during that same time period, total emissions of the six principal air pollutants dropped by 73%. What does that tell us? We're doing more, but technology is helping us to do it in a more efficient, effective, and in a way that doesn't have as great of impact on the environment. And guess who's driving that? Now, I know the government's put out certain regulations that uh, private industry then has to meet. But a lot of this is being done by the industry itself. Um, but what's being proposed under this administration is essentially eliminating coal-fired electric plants, uh, fossil fuel usage. This would plunge our economy uh, into the dark ages, okay? So I'm just making the point that we're addressing this. We have been addressing it. Uh, we're making the environment cleaner, water's cleaner, air is cleaner than it has been since the Industrial Revolution. But things are, storms are intensifying. Now, brings me to my point. Jesus told us this was going to happen. In Matthew chapter 24, and before I read that, you know, you hear us talking about this quite a bit, about a biblical worldview. What is a biblical worldview? About 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Uh, it is simply looking at the events in the, world, in the world around us through the lenses of Scripture. Now, let me just ask you this question before I read this passage. Does, does God control the elements of nature? I mean, does he? I mean, remember Mark chapter 4 where... Jesus was asleep in the boat with his disciples and a storm comes up and they're frantic. They, uh, they feel like they're going to sink and drown. And they wake up, Jesus, and says he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, that should not take us by surprise that Jesus could control the elements. I mean, if we believe God created all things, why should he not have control over them? Now, Jesus brings me in my passage in Matthew chapter 24, 
where, and I'm just going to read it, beginning in verse 3. This is Jesus having a conversation with his disciples as he had uh, laid out some things, and they were wanting to know, when's all this stuff going to happen? It says, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us when these things will be. He had been talking about the end times and the destruction that was coming. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, that's called war, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. Yes, famines, we've had a lot of those. Pestilence, uh, that could include viruses and earthquakes in various places. And all these are, listen, the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, that's uh, something we see a lot of, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Man is responsible for the changing climate. Our sin has corrupted the environment. It began in the Garden of Eden with the fall of man, and the climate has only gotten worse ever since. But the solution is not bigger government that will take more of your money and more of your freedoms and promise more things that they cannot deliver on. The solution is going back to the, to the heart of the matter. Number one, Jesus is, is telling us this is going to happen. This is, this is the unfolding of human history. And why does he tell us this? Well, over in John, today is kind of a Bible lesson, in John chapter 15 and 16 and 17, you know, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and uh, he's, he's warning them that they're going to be hated. All of these bad things are going to happen. And, and this is what he says. He says, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. He doesn't want them to get caught off guard. He does not want us to be surprised by these things. That's why it's written down for us to know and to understand. And then as he's praying for them, over in chapter 17, he prays, in verse 13, he says, but now I come to you, he's talking to the Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He said, I, I've, I've said all of these things here on the earth in their hearing so that they might have my joy. What does that mean? It means we've been forewarned that these things are going to occur. Storms, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, all of these things are going to occur viruses. It is a part of the unfolding of human history. Now, what, what should we do? Should we sit and lament these things? Should we worry about them? No, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our request be made known unto God. I believe we're warned so that we can be prepared so that we can help others, because if we're in a posture where we don't lose our heads about ourselves, nor surrender our rights and freedoms. As we were talking with Pastor Jack earlier, as they kept their doors open, they've baptized over 3,000 people in the last 18 months. You see, if you and I take the warning that Jesus has given us, not to scare us, but to prepare us 
for what is unfolding in the times in which we live, we'll be better prepared to face them and to minister through them so that others might come to know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and be free from their sin and experience life abundantly, even in the midst of these challenges and enter into eternity when that time comes in the presence of their creator. So yes, this is code red. The warning signs are going off all around us, but the solution is not to turn to the government, surrender more of our powers. It is turn to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender our lives and everything we have to him and serve him faithfully in the midst of these challenging times. Well, folks, I want to thank you for joining us today, and I want to encourage you to visit the website, TonyPerkins.com, and do download the Stand Firm app. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prepared, after you've prayed, then you take your stand. And guess what? Once you've taken that stand, just keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.